Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. This is Jessica, and I have a question from Micah. Um, I was wondering if you could um, speak on Professor Brown's comments regarding the rights or lack thereof of a fetus to inhabit a woman's body. That is my question. Yes, thank you. That's a great question. Do I need to repeat that? Or? Please. Thank you. Would you like to repeat that? Please, yeah. Um, can you please comment on um, Professor Brown's remarks about the rights or the lack thereof of a fetus to inhabit a woman's body? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the analogy that Professor Brown made was um, that to organs. So just like I don't have the right to use your kidney if I need it for my survival, um, the preborn don't have the right to use their mother's body or their mother's, u- their mother's uterus, um, and that's why she should get to decide. Um, I think that when it said it's her body, it's forgotten that there's uh, two bodies involved in case of a pregnancy. But when we make the analogy to organs or to kidneys, what we need to um, look at is the, the, the purpose of a kidney and the purpose of a uterus. So the purpose of a kidney, it, it's created, it, it's, it's in our body for the proper health and functioning um, of our body, whereas the uterus serves for no other purpose than that of our offspring. Um, and every month it gets ready to um, welcome um, our offspring. So... Well, um, uh, while I have no obligation to give my kidney to someone else, um, when, when most, of, most pregnancies re- uh, are as a result of consensual sex, and so we must accept the consequences of our actions. And um, as, as a woman, basically what we do by maintaining a pregnancy is providing what parents are required to do for their born children, which is providing proper... Um, nutrition and shelter, which is the basic um, basic necessities of life. Well, yeah. Um, I don't really think that adequately answers the point. Um, the point is that what's involved here is a relationship in which one person, we've taken for a hypothesis here as an assumption that the fetus is a person, in which one person's life depends on the use of another person's body. And I'm saying that because we have this very strong right of control over our bodies, the mother has the right, or the pregnant woman has the right, to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to provide that service with my body. There's a very big difference between providing shelter and food and providing something from your body. You can actually sell shelter and food. You can't sell a part of your body. The right that you have in the body is um, something that you can't give up. And so I think that the argument doesn't go through. I have a question for Professor Brown, and thank you for being here, both of you. And so you had mentioned the uh, capacity of awareness. Now, this week my son had a serious car accident in which he had sustained a a head injury. If you consider the capacity of awareness... Does a person in a coma not constitute a person, or does a severely handicapped person who does not have a capacity of awareness not constitute a person as well? Well, my view on this is that there are vague boundaries. There's no clear line. And so my preference is to draw the line 
very conservatively. So when we look at someone in a coma, it may well be the case that, that, that there's no more potential there for awareness. Uh, or it may be temporary, right, as it sometimes is with comas. And so I don't think that we rule on that, that, oh, well, there's no person here in any kind of hasty way. Uh, so you would agree that they are persons? I would in those cases, yeah. I would defend so, their mm -hmm. right to be, and they are considered persons under the law, under those conditions. So basically what Professor Brown has done with that point is, is say that the preborn don't have that awareness yet, that they don't have that level of development yet, which we know. But he hasn't made the case for why that should matter. Because um, obviously that goes back to our development, which is, um, you know, our age, and when we, which is because of our age. And if we pick certain things in our development to determine whether a person should have the right to life or not, um, anything aside from our humanity that is completely arbitrary because for him that is a good point for someone else it might be that it might be something else and that's why um, we make the case that it should be our humanity because that is what we all have in common thank you thank you um, my question is for Professor Brown um, you're speak, speak sorry, not in favor of criminalizing abortion because of the harm that may come to women through unsafe abortions um, you cite the use instead of things like contraceptives and sex education to decrease the number of abortions. Um, would you then be in favor of legalizing the murder of born people um, to decrease the risk of harm to the murderer and maybe just instead rely on programs like anti-bullying um, to decrease the number of murders in general? That's a very strange parallel. In fact, I think it's pretty offensive. Um, For one thing, uh, a, a fetus in the womb or an embryo in the womb, as I said, is dependent on its mother's body, and I believe that the mother has the right, just as she has the right to deny someone who needs her kidney access to her kidney, she has the right to deny someone who needs access to her womb access to her womb. And she can have very good reasons for doing that, whether personal, whether the, you're talking about the physical burden of carrying through a pregnancy. There are all kinds of good reasons why she should have that right. And uh, there's just absolutely no comparison between that and the case of um, someone who proposes to kill somebody who's not dependent on their body in some way. You know, this, the murderer isn't denying somebody access to a kidney. The murderer is stabbing somebody or shooting somebody. So I really think it's a poor analogy. I think the analogy would be poor if the preborn aren't human beings, but because they are, um, you know, I think what what she's saying is making the case that um, if if you know we don't want to reduce we, we want to reduce the killing of born people, then um, why don't we have programs to prevent that to teach people not to do it, but we don't outlaw it um, because if the preborn are human beings, and that's basically saying the same thing. To go back to the kidney, though. Um, as parents, we have the responsibility to provide care for our children. And the analogy only works if um, I'm not only denying my kidney to the person who needs it, but I also then dismember, decapitate, and disembowel them like happens in case of abortion. My name is Frank Toth. Whoops. Uh, you all know me by my radical, my letters. For the last 75 years of my 90 years of life, I've done 
research, writing, and reading, all right? And this subject is really one of the most decisive, anti-decisive modes in, in Canadian history, this abortion. Do you, have a, do you have a quick question, Frank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just want a little, allow me an analogy. I'm a veteran. The second-hand population of the world, women, this is another stab in their back to take the rights away. I'm a veteran. I observed thousands of bodies, mutilated bodies, in the war. And we have not pounded the pulpit against war. What would happen if all the religions in the world got together and fought for peace, for God's sake, for peace to prevent the 5% that can, uh, the greedy people that govern our world and cause wars? What would happen if the religions of the world got together and fought for peace and no wars? Thank you. I have two questions for Professor Brown. First question. Is a fetus human tissue? Absolutely. So it is a human being. Yes. It's we refer to it as... It's biologically human. I made a distinction. Right? Yes. I said okay, that's, that's good. Because a lot of times we confuse it between whether it's things. a person or whether it's human. Now my question, my second question, at what point in time during its stage in utero is it okay to kill a human being? Well, that depends on the circumstances, but I'm going to say... Right? that so long as it's dependent on its mother's body, it would be within the mother's rights to say, no, I'm not going through with this. Now, if you look at the actual statistics of what's done, it's extremely rare. As I said, in Canada, less than 1% of abortions are past 20 weeks. And as I said, that's well before any of the basic structures that are needed for awareness are in place and, and working. So my view is, at that point, it's not even a person. It's human tissue, as you say. It's a human individual. At that point, it, probably, it, it is a human individual, too. Um, it's not at that ambiguous stage when it's a zygote. It could turn into two individuals, or two could turn into one. I didn't. I, uh, w just place your question and then go back to your seat. Oh, yeah. okay. Thank yeah. you. I'll, I'll, I'll ask uh, uh, questioners to uh, probably return to their seat as soon as you've placed your question. My question is for Micah. Um, what are your comments on maternal morality and Mr. Brown's view that outlawing abortion will put women's life at risk? When we talk about maternal mortality, the first thing we can notice is the word maternal actually comes from the word mother. And, in, and when someone is a mother, then there's two people involved, with it, which is a child and the mother. Um, it's interesting to note that, though, that um, in Canada, abortion didn't become uh, legal until 1969. And if we look at studies even from the 1920s onward, we can t see that maternal mortality used to, or decreased all the while abortion was illegal. So if the point is that women will die when um, abortion becomes illegal, we only need to look at studies like that. And in countries like Nicaragua and Chile and Poland um, that have made abortion illegal and maternal mortality um, still decreased in a country like South Africa that made abortion legal but maternal mortality increased. So to point, so when we talk about maternal mortality, we see that it has little to do with whether abortion is legal or illegal, but it has everything to do with the medical care that is provided to women. And the World Health um, 
organization confirmed that in a study in 2003 where they said that if maternal care improves, maternal mortality decreases. So instead of what we need to do, especially in third world countries, is not provide abortion to women, but provide the care they need, such as um, safe delivery conditions, prenatal and postnatal care, um, because that is what will decrease um, maternal mortality rates, not abortion. Just to start out, that's false. Uh, the maternal mortality rate, the maternal mortality rate in Canada is about 5.5 per hundred thousand for women who go through a complete pregnancy. The mortality rate amongst women who have an early abortion in Canada is 0.1 per hundred thousand. So there are real risks attached to pregnancy. And furthermore, where you see illegal abortions, you see more deaths related to abortion. That's true in South America. It's true in Africa. It's true in parts of Asia. So the, the sort of playing games with cherry-picking particular comparisons that we've just heard is just more dishonest debate. This is not a serious discussion going on right now, and again, I'm disappointed. I would encourage you to look at the studies that I quoted, which is a World Health Organization study of 2003 and a Lancet study of 2010. Thanks, both of you. Next question. Jeffrey Katt. My question is for Dr. Bryson. Uh, is it Professor or Dr. Brown? Oh, I'm sorry, Brown. I'm sorry. Um, it is a fact that in our culture, we learn at the age of 12 or earlier, before our bodies are sexually mature, we learn what our sexual organs are for. We learn that they are for reproduction of our species. We know that a woman carries a baby until it is born. We know this. So therefore, engaging in sexual intercourse is inherently giving permission for consequences of all kinds, the, trans the transmissions of infections and the pr production of a new human being. Why then can we not understand that it is inherently consent to the possibility of becoming pregnant? As a, as a, as a man, I consent to the possibility of becoming responsible for this child. Why should not we all accept responsibility for our sexual behavior, be it pregnancy or fatherhood or such, and follow through and mutually agree whether we're going to raise it ourselves, share the responsibility, or whether we're going to put it up for adoption? Why should this other human being, this third one that has no voice, why should it be denied a voice? Why should we define it for our convenience and not because we have a sense of humanity beyond ourselves. Thank you. You're welcome to advance that kind of moral suasion as much as you wish. I don't think that we need a law to enforce that. I don't think that we have the right to impose a law to enforce that. I think imposing a law to enforce that would put women at greater risk, and I think imposing a law to enforce that would require, as I said, very intrusive investigations of all kinds of things that go on in people's private and personal lives and that affect their bodies very intimately. And so I think as a policy prescription, outlawing abortion would be absolutely the wrong response. Go ahead and offer your moral suasion and ask people to take responsibility. Although people can right, be 
helped in conditions where they do their best and things go wrong. And that happens all the time with respect to contraception occasionally, with respect to other aspects of our lives. And we don't hold people similarly responsible for all of the consequences that might follow if there were no allowed interventions in other cases. Right? We actually provide heart surgery to people who haven't taken good care of themselves. So, And again, as I said, I, I object to the claim that there's a third person there until quite late in pregnancy. If we expect men to pay uh, child support for the children of their partners that they do not want, the claim we are making is that they should be responsible for the consequences of their action by consenting to sex. So then let's be uh, consistent and demand the same kind of responsibility for consequences from women um, because we're asking that for men. And just because we ask that kind of responsibility, of course, doesn't mean we can't provide support because we're not saying that we're going to leave these people to themselves. We should still provide support because people obviously are in difficult circumstances. Thank you. My name is Mary Shillington. Thank you to both of you for presenting your points of view. And, and I am actually uh, uh, pro-choice. I'll say that right up front as a social worker. Uh, and I am a person who has adopted two children that wouldn't have, ha wouldn't have been able to have those children if those mothers had not chosen to carry to term. So, but I still strongly believe that women need to have that right to make that choice. And if the father is involved uh, seriously, then I think he should he should also be involved in that decision. My my point of issue, though, is with the with the video you showed. Uh, it was very graphic. I didn't mind that, but I did object to the fact that that the last baby was shown. The last slide was shown in which the, the child the, the baby was older. And, and when we know the stats about how many abortions happen in that portion, I think there needs to be some kind of clarity about why that particular slide was shown because most people would not be making that choice unless it was a health issue of some kind. And as a person who, who has had health issues, I, if, that was, if I had had a child at that point, I would want to know that. And I, I know I've dealt with lots, I've done grief work, and I've de dealt with lots of people who have, have had abortions for a variety of reasons or had stillborn. And so if the child is, is if it's an ectopic pregnancy, there has to be an abortion. So I'd like, your, I'd like your reaction to why there was not a clarity on that last slide about, about what, that, that, that it was an older number of weeks. So just to clarify, you would like to know why we showed a picture of the older child? Yes. The abortion was at uh, 26 weeks, I believe. Um, the reason for that is because what we wanted to do in the video is show what abortion does to preborn children. And while the majority of abortion do happen in the first trimester, as Professor Brown has mentioned as well, there are children who are aborted later on. Um, the... the um, uh, the examples you used of abortions for health concern are um, almost always done in the first trimester. So um, I, I guess if it doesn't really matter when you kill someone, it's wrong to kill someone. So while the last picture may disturb us more because the baby obviously looks more like us and looks more like a human being, um, it doesn't change the fact 
that abortion always ends a life. So if we oppose to abortions that late, as it seems that Professor Brown is doing, then my question would be, um, why is it okay to kill them when they're younger, when they're the same people? Quick answer. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I think those pictures are pretty disturbing, and I think that they're meant to be. And I think that, again, that's an abuse of the terms of a real honest debate. Because unless there's an argument that those pictures somehow really provide evidence for, the pictures are strictly there for shock value, strictly there as ugly pictures. I could show you ugly pictures of open-heart surgery, but I don't think we're going to propose to outlaw that. Oh, and by the way, the 27-week-old, uh, as I said in, in my comments, uh, that late in term, abortions are very rare, and they're very rare for reasons, obviously, and they're very rare but usually conducted for reasons that are actually quite unhappy and unfortunate. Things do go wrong in various cases. Sometimes it's just a, a, a child that's actually died in the womb and has to be removed. You could still show that picture. We have no idea what the reason was for that child being aborted. And if there's an argument here about how bad this is, I haven't heard the premises, I haven't heard the argument. Thank you. Next question. Yes, George Ney is my name. I would hesitate coming up here because, you know, we're supposedly discussing something that is a woman's issue. And yet I remembered the statistic um, that I read that said that actually 70% of the women that have abortions do so because they are forced into it by their father of the child or by their father or whatever man is involved. And so it is really an issue of both men and women. And the second thing I wanted to say is I was a little bit disappointed uh, that Mr. Brown, Dr. Brown uh, called into question uh, some statistics put out by pro-life, which I don't know if their, if their study is valid, neither do I know if the study uh, that you uh, referred to in terms of uh, abortion people, people who've had abortion getting breast cancer. But, you know, I guess what happens is when a person doesn't have a strong argument, they start attacking the other, the opponent. And I'm deeply disappointed because Dr. Brown is a man who have I, I had admired over years. Sorry. Don't make a brief comment. Well, I'm sorry that you're disappointed, Mr. Ney. Uh, I don't think you should be disappointed. Um, that's about all I have to say, really. Can, I, can we move on? Can I just make a quick comment? Um, I, I think it's very important that we're sensitive when we talk about abortion, but I would disagree with that it's just a women's issue, but that just women's issue because that would be like saying that racism is not my issue because I'm white. I think it's a human rights issue because it concerns human beings, and that's why it should be something we're all concerned about. Let me say something else, too, about the statistics. Um, as I told you, there are a number of, of national health institutes and national health groups like uh, College of, of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in the UK. They reviewed all the literature. What we see in this website is one selected piece of literature which provides weak evidence, weak evidence based on very unsound methodology because they found a comparison groups simply by phoning a bunch of women and interviewing them about their health and about whether or not they'd had an abortion. Now... Women who have breast cancer, whom they started with, right, 
They're going to answer honestly when they're giving their healthcare histories because they want to know what's going on. They're going to answer the doctor's questions. Women that you phone up and recruit for an interview, they have every reason to withhold a little bit of that information. And actually, that's been studied independently and shown to actually occur. So when these colleges, when these institutions like the National Institute of Health in the United States say there's no connection between abortion and breast cancer, that's because they have looked at the evidence, and the evidence shows that. And I don't think that I'm being unfair in being critical of an organization that chooses one study that suggests a connection and ignores all the studies and reports which show that that connection isn't really there I don't think that it's wrong for me to criticize them that way. I think that they've been irresponsible, and I think it's verging on dishonest, if not self-deceived. Okay, um, th th thanks to both of you. Uh, we're just about out of time. I'm going to ask both of you to be very quick in your questions, and the responders very quick in their response. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll I'm, so I'm going to keep you after school about five minutes, but then we'll let you go. My name is Jennifer Butine. Um, Dr. Brown, you keep saying that it's a woman's right to abort because the fetus depends totally upon her. Doesn't a born child depend upon its mother? There's a difference. Uh, the fetus or embryo or zygote depends on the mother's body. It needs the use of the mother's body. And as I said a couple of times, we recognize a very strong right of control over the body. Our rights in our bodies are different from our rights in our property. That's right, but naturally a woman's body provides for her baby. I'm sorry, you've placed your question. It can do, but that doesn't mean that she has to let that be the case. Quick response. I'd argue that if someone is dependent on us, then we don't have less of a responsibility for that person. We can't decide whether that person lives or dies. We have a heightened responsibility to make sure that, um, that they are safe and that they're well taken care of. Hi, uh, Tessa Brown. Uh, Ms. Rosendahl, uh, I assume that uh, given that your group is trying to eliminate abortion, uh, you're also working to minimize abortion through, say, sex education and education on the proper use of contraceptives. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we certainly don't oppose um, ways in order to make abortion, in order to reduce the number of abortion. But when we know that abortion kills, then we don't want to just reduce the number. We want to completely el eliminate the number. Um, when we talk about contraceptives, um, what, I would, what I would say is that um, the kinds of birth control that act after fertilization, um, like the IUD or the pill or the morning after pill, would um, end and still end the life. So we would oppose to that. However, um, regardless, you know, there's many groups, pro-life groups across, across the country that uh, provide programs such as you're talking about. We have worked together with groups that, that in Calgary as well. But the purpose of our organization is to educate about the um, inherent value of human life from conception to natural death because, we, because in order to change public policy, we first need to change public opinion. And that's why we want to educate people about that so that abortion becomes unthinkable and will not even enter um, the minds of women who are in difficult circumstances because then regardless of whether we're in a difficult circumstance or not, we know that that's not a reasonable or ethical option. I've, I've made it very clear a few times when you look at the world, when you look at the history of the world, 
abortion is not going away. The rates are higher in many countries where it's illegal than they are in Canada. So the notion that somehow or other we can make it unthinkable and it will just go away is a fantasy. That's not the way to reduce abortions. It doesn't work where it's been tried. And if we want to reduce abortions, access to birth control, access to good sex education that really does leave children and young people not confused about when they're fertile and not confused about what might prevent conception and not confused about how to use birth control properly, that's going to be a much more successful method. What a wonderful pair of passionate presenters we've had and how fortunate you are to be part of that discussion. And thank you for being here. And thanks to our two presenters.